Hello and welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast. I'm Ben Granis. I'm your host for this podcast. And I am the founder of Eyes Up, which started as a 7,000-mile bike ride that I did solo around the United States to raise awareness for distracted driving. I completed this ride in September and immediately set out on a road trip to interview 21 athletes who are sponsored by Maxxis Tires. If you don't know who Maxxis Tires are, they make delightfully high-performing tires for any sort of wheel you can think of. Head to MaxxisTires.com. Check them out. They were kind enough to partner with me and are behind this mission of ending distracted driving and promoting digital wellness and set me up with 21 of their athletes who I sat down with for a full interview conversation with and what you are listening to now. On this episode, we are joined by Jason Wygant. He's the very first interview in this series in one of the Carolinas. I'm blanking right now. I think it was South Carolina. Super nice guy. Jason's actually not a sponsored athlete, but he is heavily involved in the power sports world because of his media presence. He covers all sorts of events on TV, on blogs, on videos, posted online, all sorts of content. He is there and he knows every single thing there is to know about power sports and he absolutely loves his job. What is interesting is how he strikes a balance with his work and his family life and that's something that I think you will really enjoy about this conversation is talking through what that's like and how he deals with it. Every one of these interviews has a different angle and a different perspective, and that is certainly true of my conversation with Jason. So sit back, relax, enjoy this talk with Jason Wygant, and we'll talk to you at the end. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Jason Wygant. We live in Mooresville, North Carolina. I'm the editorial director for RacerX, which covers motocross and supercross racing. And on the weekends, I'm the broadcaster for NBC for Pro Motocross. Cool. Yep. And is that mostly in this area, or are you all over? Very little actually takes place right here. This is NASCAR country, where we live. We call it Race City USA. Uh, so on the motocross side, it's mostly California-based. Um, so I don't have a single race where I get to stay in my house. Every single event is travel. We might get one next year, but we've heard that for about 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> So where are some of the places that you travel to? Yeah, so California is a big heart of this. So uh, our season essentially runs Supercross or Motocross January to September-ish, give or take. Uh, So the first month or two of the year is all West Coast, mostly California. A visit to Arizona, places like that where the weather is better because you're primarily racing outdoors. uh, So you can't do it anywhere but the Southeast. Uh, And then eventually you start to work your way East, mostly as the weather turns. And then the summertime, the motocross series is much more Eastern and Midwestern based because the weather's a lot better there than it is in inland California in August and July. In the heat of the summer, right? Yes. uh, I'd rather deal with humidity than dust. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How did you get involved in this world and what's been your career track? Yeah. So uh, motocross has always been my favorite sport for sure. Uh, Growing up as a kid, my dad worked for an oil company named Bell Ray and... uh, they bought ads in the magazines and they would have the magazines if I came to visit my dad at work they would just be sitting there on a table and I mean that for them that was just business they weren't necessarily racing fans it was just what you did if you had a product so at the end of the month they just throw those magazines out so I saw them my dad's like 
hey, you know, every couple of weeks I, I can bring these home. They're just going to throw them in the trash. So I'm eight or nine years old, you know, just starting to get to the point where you could read a magazine. And uh, I started reading it. It wasn't, there wasn't much on TV in those days yet. Sports pretty niche. Uh, then it eventually did get on TV and I was able to read and watch. And next thing you know, I'm a huge fan. To be honest, my parents are not huge fans of riding because there's an injury factor for sure. We'll never agree on that. We agree to disagree. Um, so my goal was like, someday I'm gonna get a job and when I do have a regular job, I will buy a motocross bike and I will go motocross racing. What I didn't expect is that the job would be in the sport from all that reading. I got pretty good at writing and I got a job at Racer X, which is a magazine that started in the late 90s. They had kind of only been around a few years when I was graduating college. Got a job there. And then eventually what happens is they say, hey, you're the reporter guy, you know a lot. Can you talk to the TV people and give them some info? And then it was, could you talk yourself for a few minutes? Here's the microphone, can you fill an hour? And then eventually, you wanna just be the announcer? And then that went to TV, and then next thing you know, I'm a broadcaster. So that's how it turned out for me. <laughs> so you do, is it primarily broadcasting now? Or? Yeah, I'd say during the week is, is filling the RacerX online website and the magazine and social media and videos and all that content that's during the week. And then the weekends, I become TV broadcast guy. So it's one of those deals where people probably most know me from TV, but by far the bulk of the work I'm doing is on the media side as a journalist. What's your favorite part of the job? The good thing is that, you know, you're working something that you love, you know, be it bicycles or be it cars or sports, in this case, motocross and supercross for me. I mean, this is what you love and you have to remind yourself all the time that people, including myself when I was younger, if you had told someone, this is what you have to do, you have to get on a plane and you have to go to the race and you have to talk about the race and watch the race, write about the race, speak about the race, who would not sign up for that? So when we're going 35 weekends a year, I just did 22 straight weekends uh, on the road. I wouldn't say my wife and kids are a huge fan of that. And that becomes a drag and you gotta balance all that and it gets stressful and then you gotta remind yourself, getting paid to talk about sports or racing for a living. So as long as you keep that perspective of what you would have thought at age 14, like if someone told you that was gonna be your job, it's no problem at all. Um, going to the races is the best thing in the world. Any fan would tell you that. So it sounds like you knew from a pretty young age that you wanted to be in this world. How did you, I mean, if you can think back to that yeah. age, like how, what was it that stood out to you when you were looking at those magazines that made you feel like excited and wanting to do it? What's funny is when you're in these niche type sports, um, you know, everybody's a football fan, everybody's a baseball fan or a soccer fan or whatever it might be. Uh, these niche sports, I remember reading these magazines. I didn't know a single person at school or anyone my age that even knew about the sport, followed it, knew any of the riders, anything. So you were never able to even have a conversation with people about it. Unlike say, we're on a Monday morning here and everybody's talking about the NFL games over the weekend. You can just take it for granted, everybody. Uh, so for me, it was always a dream of like, wow, what would it be like if I actually knew a person that followed this sport and I could actually have a conversation about it? Uh, and the magazines, especially the industry back then, was heavily California-based. It's still, that's still the biggest area for it, but it's spread out quite a bit now nationwide. So back then, I'm from New Jersey originally, so the idea that like people live in California and go to these races and follow the sport, that was like, you might as well have just said that's a, a myth. Like there's no way I'll ever go there, meet these people, go to these races, talk about it with anyone. 
it was like this impossible dream. And that was probably what made it so intriguing. Like, what would it be like someday to go to a race in California and talk to someone about racing one time? That would be amazing. And now I do it every weekend. <laughs> yeah. Has your relationship to the sport changed over the course of your career? You know, that's one of the best things. My relationship to the sport has not changed. I can look back in the, say, late 90s when I was a fan or early 2000s when I was a fan, say, a college student, and then getting the job. There is not a mark in my mind of like, oh, those are the days before I worked in it and it felt like this. It feels the same. Um, and I think media these days, you get a lot of headlines and a lot of attention by trying to bring out the negative and there's, there's corruption and this is messed up. I'm gonna tell you these secrets that people are afraid to tell you. I've worked in it for 20 years now. It's honestly pretty chill. It's an enthusiast-based thing. There isn't anyone that is working in this space that doesn't love it and doesn't have its best intentions in mind. So I think that would be the easy thing to think like, if you're a, you run for political office and you wanna make changes and you win an election, you go to Washington DC, you probably get to Washington and say, wow, this is dirty, man. I didn't know it was this bad. That's not how this industry is. This is not comparable to that. These are people that love dirt bike racing, just like me. It's been their dream to be part of it. And you always have the best intentions of the sport in mind because it's such a niche, passionate, love, labor of love project. Um, so it has not changed. Now I just get to be around people that love it like I do. It, everybody usually is pretty cool because I think we all realize we're doing something that we love to do. What would you say to someone who maybe had the dream of getting into the sport like you did when you were younger, but then took a different track because of whatever reason, yeah. you know, they go yep. into the corporate world or something, yeah. and then they want to go back to it. What would you say to them as advice or guidance? Yeah, it's tough because I've thought about that even myself. Um, when I graduated college, honestly, the economy was roaring and it would have been so easy to get a regular job. And that's what I thought I was going to do. It wouldn't have been hard to find work uh, and had a regular job and my degrees in communications at a PR firm or an advertising firm. Um, and if I had headed down that path, that would have been the path I'm down. You're not going to reverse course at 30 years old, you know, but I have met a lot of fans along the way that wish they had done it or considered doing it. Like, I just want to work in this industry, man. I've made money. I've been successful. But the key thing you got to remember is um, this is a small sport. Uh, the, the money to labor ratio is never going to make sense compared to anything else. And as soon as I start seeing people in this industry say that, like, do you know you'd get paid X if you did this? You can go down the line. You can find any job in this sport and compare it to the team owner of a NASCAR team makes more money than the team owners in this sport. The broadcasters make more money in those sports than, than I do. Go down the line. You have to sign up for that and realize that's going to be the case. And it gets trickier as you get older because you start having more responsibility. You know, when you're 22 years old, who cares how much money you make? You know, you don't have a family to support at that time. So you have to realize that. And my advice always is you cannot become bitter. This is what it is. It's not the fault of the sport or the industry. You chose to get into a niche field. It's only yay big. You can maybe make it a little bigger, but it's never going to, it's, it's never going to, quintuple in size. It's just not going to happen. So you have to realize this is what I love to do and I got to make sacrifices to do it. Are you riding these days? They always say when you work in this industry, the first thing to go away is riding. Um, you know, for most people you do your riding on weekends. Um, every weekend I'm on a plane 
and I don't have a motorcycle with me and the people that are riding are there and I'm talking about them or writing about them or watching, no one's there to see me ride. Uh, and then you would like to think that you could find ways around it, but you're in such a scramble during the week for me with family to try to make up for that time. So I'm still trying to do my during the week job, but try to be as engaged and present for the family as I possibly can. The idea that I'm gonna throw my bike in the back of the truck and disappear for a few days or hours, this is not gonna happen. So I've been lucky, my son is eight, he likes to ride, uh, so that helps, because now it's family time. But even that, man, if we ride once a month, uh, that's actually like, we're doing pretty good. And a lot of people ride more than that, so it's tough. When you work seven days a week, the fun stuff goes to the side. So if not riding, what's your, what do you balance your busy work, travel life with? You got to stay present with the family as much as you can. Like if you're going to be gone Friday through Sunday, you know, you better give them everything you have when you get back. So, you know, if I'm on the West Coast, you fly red eye, you sleep three hours on a plane, you get home Sunday morning after a Saturday night race and you're a complete zombie. So get yourself some more coffee, suck it up. You got to be dad now. Uh, when you travel this much, it's a huge sacrifice. So I feel like you have to at least say, look, I'm doing everything that I can within my power to do the most. So I don't get to blow off steam or I need to take a nap. No, you had your fun on the weekend, man. You gotta be as present as you can. So that's what it is. Family's rewarding, so that's what my time goes to. Outside of uh, the joys of work, what are your key sources of joy at home as a dad and part of the family? Yeah, it's uh, so complicated because you, you find out, especially I think when you're in this field, you're just surrounded by ambitious people, right? You're, you're surrounded by driven people. These people are all working seven days a week. Racing is the goal, results are the goal. Uh, that's just what, that's what you're like, that's what you're surrounded by, that's what's normal. So every day you're so motivated to try to do everything right. And you don't turn that off if it's, you know, in our case, how can we put the best website or the best broadcast we can, or the race team's trying to build the best motorcycle or the athletes trying to get in the best shape. You carry that in everything you do. So my wife and I, it's constantly like this, how can we be better parents? Is this the right decision? Should we, should we do this? Should we do that? Uh, you know, should you help your kids a lot? No, if you're helping them too much, then they don't learn the struggle to figure it out on their own, but then they need certain help to clear certain hurdles. You are constantly, at least me, I'm programmed that way now. You're around driven, ambitious people all the time. So even as a parent, I'm sweating every word, every detail, every minute, are we doing the right thing for our kids, but not doing too much where they get spoiled. It's a constant balance. <laughs> so with all the travel and everything, um, I know a lot of it's plane travel, but you're in a car too. Um, yeah. How do you deal with the distractions of your phone and everything else while you're in the car? Man, first of all, I gotta say, uh, everybody has their own way. Everybody has their own way of dealing with this, right? Like some people will not touch the phone while driving. Some people are all over it. This is, I had not thought of this, but it's almost like a, probably what smoking probably was 30, 40 years ago when that was much more common, where people didn't even question, they walk into your house, they light up a cigarette, it just seemed like a norm, oh, that's what people do. And eventually that became a thing where like, oh, I'm not into that, don't do that around me or don't do it around my house. When you travel with other people, you'll see people I'm shocked at my friends who I'm texting all the time. Then I see them at a race and I didn't realize how much texting while driving is happening, you know? So you see everybody has a different approach. Everybody has a different approach. 
for me, I really try not to do that, but it's not really the social media thing. Uh, we have all these inner office communications. You know, I don't, I, we probably have people working in five or six different states. We don't all work in an office. So we're all reaching each other on a phone with Slack or email, texting, whatever it might be. And when you're driving somewhere, somebody sends you a message and they're like, hey, can you proofread this? And all you want to do is just say, I'll get to it in a half hour. And it's so tempting to just want to write, give me a half hour. But even that, even that could be dangerous. So that's the hardest part for me. Uh, staying off social media, I can do that while driving. But you're trying to communicate with employees. We're on different time zones. You're working 24-7. How do you not uh, succumb to that temptation to send people a message and communicate when someone asks you a question? And you're not in an office. They don't know. They don't know you're driving or whatever it might be. So it's tough. Are you aware of the uh, features on phones that you can silence notifications while you're driving and do you use them? Uh, I don't because you, you, I guess what you'd have to do is you'd have to tell everybody uh, every time you even that 20 minute drive from a hotel to a track or whatever it might be or across town during the week, you have to tell everybody, um, hey, I'm going to be inefficient here and I'm going to be unreachable, even if you have a one yes or no, one word answer to this question, I cannot respond at the moment. And I think it's so hard in this environment of people, uh, you know, telecommuting, whatever you want to call it. Everybody's available 24-7 to answer questions at work these days. We tend to think of that. It's not like 9 to 5, the office is now closed. When you send somebody a text, you kind of expect you're going to get a response. So the idea of I'm going to be shut off for an hour in today's environment is really difficult, really difficult. So most of the time I'm just, uh, my phone dinged, I'm just ignoring it. But I haven't gone to the point where I turn it off. I just try to ignore it, yeah. Is there pressure from your management or the people that you work with to respond immediately? Would there be an understanding of a delay in the response? Yeah, there totally would. Uh, if I said, uh, it, there totally is. There's, everybody's cool with, you gotta do what you have to do. They don't expect you to text and drive or respond to a Slack thread while you're driving. Uh, it's just that unsurety. It'd be the same thing on my end. If I'm like, hey, could you help me out with this? All I need is a not now as an answer or give me an hour. That's all I need. But when you don't get that answer, everybody's just left hanging. And all I want to do is say, give me 30 minutes and I'll get to it. But instead, everybody's hanging and waiting. When people work in an office, you can see it. You know, okay, this person's busy doing this. At 2 o'clock, they'll get back to me. It's just to be able to give that answer. That's where it gets so tempting and so difficult. Um, no one's got a problem if you say, I need an hour. But you need to tell them you need an hour. How do you do that? Right. Yep. With, with texting, it's yeah. easy because you can have your phone auto reply, but it's with something like Slack or something. Yes. That's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, so I'm constantly doing the voice to text while driving through Apple CarPlay and things like that. I always set it up. Every time I get in a rental car, it's Bluetooth to be able to do that. But yeah, once it's email or once it's Slack or these other products, that's off the table. So that's where it gets difficult. And then you can try to tell everybody you think you're going to get a message from hey, text me or call me, I'm going to be driving in the next hour. And then a person you weren't even thinking about sends you a message on a different format, which you weren't even planning on. 
when you have to drive somewhere for an hour, how do you find every single person you know on earth and say, hey, for the next hour, do it this way? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the solution is? Because, I mean, when you start to think about the risks of oh, constantly yeah. responding to people. Oh, yeah. What do you, what's, the, what's the solution to this culture that's kind of shifted, especially since COVID and everyone's working from home, you know? Yeah. You're not actually in the physical office space. That's really, yes, that, you, you hit the nail on the head. The people not being in the same office space is great for some things, but it is bad for that. You don't know what anyone's doing at that time. So if they want to come down here and get a coffee and it's five minutes in the car and you just don't know it. If they did that, if you walked up to their desk at an office and they weren't at their chair, you would just say, okay, they're gone. I'll ask them when they return. Now we just send each other a message and you kind of just expect that they're gonna respond. Um, so I think the expectation that they're always gonna respond instantly, because you assume they must be looking at their computer or their tablet or their phone, surely they'll get back to me. You just have to, I think when you send that message, no, they might respond in a minute or an hour. And I gotta be cool with that. It's not that they're slacking or they're not trying or they're just ignoring it, they must be busy doing something. I know it's working hours, but every hour is working hours these days. So I think that's a lot of it. Getting rid of the expectation of, they need an answer now, I know they need an answer now, and vice versa. I need to not expect that from them. People will get to it when they can do it safely. Yeah. Right, I mean, fortunately, the work that you're doing and yeah. the work that the vast majority of people are doing is yeah. not it's not life or death. You know, it isn't. If you don't get a response, no. it's going to be okay. Yeah, uh, it, it is. But when you're, again, when you're ambitious, you, you, you're always searching for that efficiency, right? And you're just like, man, if I could give that guy an answer right now, instead of 45 minutes, he's going to be 45 minutes ahead on getting this thing done. So in the moment, it feels so important. So I think that's what it is. Just kind of relaxing the environment and saying, eh, you know, We'll get to it when we get to it. Yes, what we're doing is really not that important. But when you're in it and you're competitive and you're trying to be efficient, you don't think of it that way, but we probably should. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, t it's a tough one to try to back ourselves out of. Yes, because again, this isn't, I'm not writing a 2000 word magazine story on my phone while I'm driving. It's always, can I give them the yes or no? They just need a tiny bit of guidance, like, do you want to look at this before we publish it? Yes or no? Uh, and it's that tiny response. I, I would never try to do something elaborate while driving, but removing the temptation to just give the looks good or I'll talk to you later, yes or no response. Uh, as we've learned, right, that you can get yourself in a lot of trouble, even with that two seconds that that takes. Yep. Do you have any direct or indirect experience with someone affected by distracted driving? Uh, I don't, but uh, I would like to say a little bit of that is by design. Um, so I'm a motorcycle guy, and uh, I ride dirt bikes when I can, and it's pretty dangerous, but I purposely don't have a street bike license or ride on the street, and that's the understanding between my wife and I, where it's like, man, that seems fun, I would love to do it, I'd love to be an enthusiast and ride motorcycles on the road, but I don't think I can trust it. And that's terrible for me working in this industry to say that, but uh, the motorcycle thing and the bicycle thing, same thing, I only ride mountain bikes, same reason. I don't feel safe riding a bicycle on the road. So have I had the experience? No, part of it's by design. I'm trying to avoid being in those situations, which is terrible that it's come to that. 
Well, the thing is, distracted driving, it affects, like, cyclists and motorcyclists are obviously more, way more vulnerable being yes. unprotected, yep. essentially. Um, but it affects everyone in, like, all forms of sure. transportation. So sure. what, what do you... What do you think might be some of like some way to help us yeah. move forward and remove yep. some of the injuries and deaths from distracted driving? In my experience, what I see even locally in the neighborhood, uh, or growing in and out of hotels, they always had this stat, right? You always hear about car crashes where the majority of them happen within like two miles of your house or something odd like that. And this is before the days of cell phones. This is just the way it's always been. I think there's this assumption when you're coming to and from a familiar area, you're in a parking lot, you're in a residential street where you're going slow, that that is so easy. And so that's, that's almost like autopilot. Uh, I think when people are driving down the interstate, they're probably a little less tempted. Okay, this is, this is a real drive now. I'm settled in, I'm focused on driving. Uh, I think the temptation of, I just left the house, I'm in a rush. Let me just do one or two more things on this phone before I get onto the highway, these are just the back roads. This is just my neighborhood. I'm in your neighborhood. I know you might be going 15 miles an hour, but there's just as much a chance of hitting something or someone in your neighborhood. Honestly, probably even more in some ways. A car pulling out of the driveway, someone on the sidewalk, someone walking their dog, a cyclist, a motorcyclist. Um, I think that's one of the main things. You have to treat every single time, every area that you drive the same. It doesn't matter if you're going 80 miles an hour or eight, you can seriously do some damage. And I know it, I know that people, ah, the first five minutes of the drive, I know these roads, I'll be fine. And then the next thing you know, there's a jogger over there who's not there every day. How would you know they're gonna be there? You have to pay attention. Yeah, right. yep. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like people, you've, you've done the, that rep a yes. million times. But there's so many variables with. You think like that's you autopilot. Said. You don't really need, do you really need to pay attention to the same three blocks that you drive out of your neighborhood every time? I don't, I don't think people think they do. But you totally, it's just as dangerous as any other part of the drive. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So just to kind of wrap things up, I want to hear about your use of your phone. Yeah. Um, you're on the go with yep. work all the time. Yep. So I imagine your phone is a key player in getting yep. work done on the go. Yep. In addition to work, what's your phone use like on a day-to-day? -day? I guess I'm getting old now because my work always goes back to the computer and the laptop. That's just the way it's been for me my entire working life. So I probably could do even more on my phone. Like to me, if I'm going to write something, you write it on your laptop, you type it. That's what you do. Uh, and then maybe you copy the message over if someone needs to post something short on social media. Um, so I'm a little better than most on that. And I also, I still think of a lot of the phone as entertainment. Like I do not check social media every five minutes because to me that's interrupting work. But it's getting harder because honestly, we're in the media business that looking at Instagram, if a writer posts something that is news looking at social media practically is part of your job. So I've always compartmentalized it like, that's for the end of the day. I'm not looking at social media during the working hours, but you probably are supposed to, because that's where news breaks on athletes now, and that's our job covering the news and the sport. So for me, it's not that bad, because I've always been programmed with like, this is, this is entertainment, this is distraction, this is work. But it's only gonna get harder as the, 
the worlds meld together. And I'm, there's plenty of times where I'm at a place like this getting lunch and then you didn't know it was coming at 11 a.m. where someone announces, I'm injured, I'm out for the season. And whatever media outlet got that first wins. It's tough, it's 24 seven now. There's no compartmentalization. Uh, so the only solution, you gotta have enough people where someone who is engaged and is working and isn't driving can grab it. And I'm glad to say at RacerX, we have a big enough crew where that pretty much happens. There are many times where I've been like, I didn't even know that happened. Good job, guys. I was out for 40 minutes and something went from didn't even exist to posted and done. If you're a one-man gang, good luck. <laughs> yeah, the smaller groups, it's got to be uh, impossible to break out almost. With well, I think you just get more aggressive and more right? Yeah, you get more aggressive, you get more ambitious. Uh, you know, I try to have on our website, we try to have a three-person staff at all times because you always want someone to write it and someone to proofread it. So if you have three people, you're pretty much always going to have at least two available at all times. That's the way we figure if you only have two people or you only have one, you would have to be on call literally 24 seven. If you're three people, one person can always be, hey, can someone read this? Between the two of you, I'm hoping one of you is available. That's a lot better, but I don't know how many people work that way. That's just our philosophy. Always have three, because you need two out of the three available at all times, and you can usually find that. What's something that you're looking forward to in the next six months? Could be work or life related. Yeah, it's always exciting going into a new season as far as the racing results and things like that. But uh, uh, for me, there's a new TV deal for the sport. Um, Supercross and motocross historically have kind of existed together, but they've never worked together. Next year is the first year they're going to work together. And I'm part of the broadcast deal to some degree. I'm not exactly sure everything I'm going to do. I'm hoping more than I've done in the past. So I'm excited about that. The sport's in a really really good spot right now which again it's really fun to put in negative headlines because that gets attention but the sport's in a really good spot right now so i'm excited about next year yep sweet cool thanks jason that's it Just all right nice to meet you. you good yeah. luck with this yep um i guess one one last question yeah what's one thing one thing about your phone that yeah. you could not live without yep Let's take work out of the equation. Because okay. I, I think it's an, it's an essential part of work. Yes. And one thing that you'd like to stop using your phone for. Yeah, okay, cool. If that makes sense. This gives me an angle that I had not thought about here. Uh, one of the great things about working where I do is, like, this is not just a job where you just punch in, do the job you hate, collect the paycheck, and go home. I love what I do, the people are, I love the sport I cover. Same thing with the other people around me. So I can't even draw you the line between what is friends and what is work. So I'm on these group texts that are going all day, every day. And I couldn't tell you, is that work or is that just friends? Some of it's work. We're talking about dirt bike racing. Sometimes we get information out of it that I end up using for my job. Or is it just buddies joking around? I mean, there's probably group texts about football games right now of football fans that are not working in football. They're just talking about football. So are we just talking about racing as buddies? Or are we talking about racing at work? Either way, these text threads are going nonstop. And again, people just expect that you can get back to them instantly. And I don't see what they're doing. They probably are texting while driving. I just know that whenever the group chat starts pinging, 
you're never going an hour without one of the people responding. And you're like, how did everybody respond instantly all the time? And I don't even know, is it necessary? Is it friends? Is it work? That's what makes it uh, really tough when you work uh, where we do because you end up becoming friends with people. We all love the same thing and we're all pulling in the same direction. So it's it, that the, I would imagine, I don't know what it's like to work on the other side, but I would imagine that we wrestle with that more than others. Yep. Yep. Cool. Thank you. Yep. I don't know if that answered your question, but it's, no, it's an interesting, about. it's an interesting uh, thought. I think it kind of, yeah. Yeah. You're in touch with your buddies nonstop. And I couldn't tell you, is that work or not? I don't know. Yes, we all work in the same field. A little bit of it is going to eventually spill into the work we do. Certainly not all of it. I can't answer that question, but I just know it's going 24-7. When I go to bed, you're texting your buddies. When you wake up, you're texting your buddies. They're all motocross people. Is that work or not? We've become 24-7, and people expect it. It's not easy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. Cause it's like, I don't know, like so much of history was before we were all able to communicate. I know, so and, and it's not that long ago yeah. I even was around. Ten years ago. <laughs> I know. Like, dude, I was around. I didn't have a cell phone, say, when I was 20 years old. Somehow we were doing just fine. It would seem impossible right. now. But I don't look back at that and say, like, yeah, that's when I was, my life was horrible because I didn't have a phone. Somehow we're okay. But I can't even remember what that would be like now. It's like people, you know, if you don't have Google Maps, how would you get by? People did it. Right. For thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> it seems impossible. Right, reading a map while they're driving. That's probably not good either. No, no. <laughs> probably not good either. Different yes, challenges I, with I used to do it back, in, back when I was like teenage years. So I wish I had an easy answer for you on the... Um, it's easy enough for me to give the majority of the Slack threads its work to say, hey, I'm, I'm like I just did. I met you in that parking lot at 8.50, said, hey, I'm doing a thing for Maxis. I'll be back in an hour. But you don't know who else is going to text you that you didn't even. Right. Yeah. And that's where it gets hard. And they don't expect an answer instantly all the time. But when it comes to work, you're, uh, that one response could push their whole day forward one hour. Yeah. And you got to resist that temptation. You honestly have to feel kind of like a jerk, like, why is he not, why is he not right. engaged? But you have to realize that someone could be at the grocery store or picking their kid up, like, right. they're not in the office. Yeah. Right, you have to, there has to be some level of trust in the people you're working that with. That you're not, uh, pardon the pun, you're not slacking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. when work is now 24-7, which it is, you're gonna have to make some sacrifices. Yeah. People cannot work 24 hours a day. At some point, they're gonna to be too busy doing something else, and you're just gonna to have to wait for a response. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well said. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to that conversation that I had with Jason Wygant back in October 2022, almost a year ago. As I mentioned, and as you heard, Jason shares some pretty interesting insights on phone use for work inside the car as a parent it keeps going and it's super fascinating 
for me to hear and hopefully it's interesting for you to hear as well if you liked this episode make sure to subscribe to the eyes up life podcast follow eyes up ride on instagram follow max's tires on youtube make sure you check out the video with jason that just came out a couple days ago so you can see the short form version of this conversation and see who jason is in an actual visual if you haven't seen it already. If you've seen it already, watch it again. It's not that long, so can't hurt. Anyways, we'll see you in two weeks, and I'm excited for next episode, which will be with Blake Shipman, another media guy. He does more video work and is incredibly laid back, great guy, another interesting take on distractions, social media, and all of that stuff that you are used to with the Eyes Up Life podcast. But it's all fresh, it's all new, and it's coming at you in two weeks. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.